This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi. Siri. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Kim Adams. And I'm Sharonik Boshu. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Friends of High Theory, thank you so much for talking to us and listening to us this past year. Our audience has grown way beyond what we had expected when we started on this journey. If you like what we do, please consider rating us and writing a review on the platform you use to listen to High Theory. Many thanks in advance. Hello, welcome to High Theory. Today we are talking about Upper Brahmshas with Abhishek Avtans. Abhishek, would you mind introducing yourself? Hi, Sharonik. Pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, My name is Abhishek Avtans. I am a lecturer of uh, Indic languages at uh, Leiden University in the Netherlands. I work on uh, on Indian languages, on uh, South Asian uh, languages. You know, I, I also worked on Andamans for the Andamanese languages. And oh. later, I have been writing on uh, some lesser known languages of, right. of India. So I wrote my master dissertation on Jaintia of Meghalaya. Yes. And then later, my MPhil dissertation on... Uh, yeah, on... Uh, Great Andamanese and my PhD letter on. Oh, yeah. So that's it. I am here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, let me ask you my first question. What the heck are Upper Brahmshas? Upper Brahmshas, some people also pronounce it like Upper Branch. Right. It is one of the last stages of the Middle Indo-Aryan. You know, you if you look at the history of Indo-Aryan languages in uh, in the in South Asia, you will see that the Indo-Aryan languages are divided into three different stages. First stage is the Old Indo-Aryan, the sec- second is the Middle Indo-Aryan, and the third is the New Indo-Aryan. Now, what we are talking today is about the Upper Bhamshas, and the Upper Bhamshas are the Middle Indo-Aryan languages, and they come at the the last stage of the middle indo-aryan so basically they are at the cusp of say uh, the new languages of uh, modern india like or south asia you can call it like bengali 
or Hindi or Punjabi, Marathi, and the Prakrits, which were spoken in the Middle Indo-Aryan period. Right. So Pali right. Prakrit, when you know Pali is also a form of Prakrit, yeah, you know that. Uh, to be precise, I can say that uh, Prabhamshas are actually the ancestors of, say, old Bengali or she old did. Hindi or old Rajasthani or old Marathi. So I won't say this is like the they were the. Uh, so what we speak today, the language we speak today is was spoken before in a Aprabhamsha form, but I can say that the old Bengali was similar to the Aprabhamsha spoken in the Eastern India. So the period which is which is covered by Aprabhamsha is something around 4th century AD to, to the 12th century. The word itself actually is, is from Sanskrit and uh, it means something which is aberrant something which is not standard the off standard from the from the north so one thing is there that this term itself is actually kind of a prejudiced term i see and this is uh, a prejudice against the language spoken by the people by uh, by the grammarians so the grammarians who described these languages the upper they were actually calling these languages as uh, deviant speech and they were not because it deviated from the Paninian, you know, Sanskrit. Right. And uh, therefore, the word itself is not, a, I would say, like, you know, calling a language corrupt. This, the idea itself that languages can become corrupt, mm -hmm. this is not new, this is old. Yeah. So when I, so whenever I hear people telling me that, okay, oh, no, no, this is not a correct uh, Bengali, this is a corrupt, this is not Shuddhi Hindi, this is a corrupt. So this idea is very long sustained and is this myth, I would say this is myth has been existing with us so the apabhamshas uh, the first reference to apabhamshas uh, comes uh, in the text written by patanjali and in patanjali's text he talks about different forms of the word for cow like the the word for cow in paninian sanskrit is go go that is that has given the word guy or gau so at that time only when patanjali was writing that in the second century bc he was objecting to the words like Gavi or Goni or Gota right, right. Uh, as Aprabhamsha. So obviously this reference was towards the deviant speech, not to the language which came into being after 4th century AD. So right, right. to make it simpler, I would say that, you know, when the Sanskrit was getting replaced by Prakrits as a literary language. So, you know, you uh, if you if you go back to the 3rd century AD, uh, you have the, from 3rd century AD, you see that the Prakrits had already become very stylized, right. like very rigid. So Prakrit were like you know following the standards of sanskrit very rigid with their uh, language and kind of artificial same way the aprabhamsyas they started becoming that from 6th century or 7th century uh, ad so the aprabhamsyas which were the language uh, forms of the prakrit which were spoken there from the 4th century to 12th century ad and these languages they one of them especially from the from the western Aprabhamsha, they became a literary dialect and that soon was learned by the people living in other parts and they started writing in this Aprabhamsha. They say the name of that Aprabhamsha which was used by the, so basically what the texts we have today of Aprabhamsha's are all Jain texts, yeah. So the Jain authors have composed many texts in that dialect. But yeah, but the, these Jain texts were not the only Aprabhamsha spoken in that period to be, to be precise. So many of the, many people, when I read about Aprabhamsha, people have a perception 
that the upper brahmashas were actually the jain upper brahmashas the jain the one which was written in the books by the jain authors and uh, for example there is a one there is one very famous uh, book written by uh, swambhu dev 9th century it is called poem charyu it is the jain version of ramayana so this jain version of ramayana it, it uses a typical uh, literary dialect of upper brahmasha but at the same time you also have the upper brahmasha spoken in other parts of india so for example in the central upper brahmasha that is the central area of india you had the the spoken language was based on central apabhamshas and that led to what we have today uh, in the western hindi family like the brajkhari boli and kannauji bundeli etc in the same way you have the eastern apabhamsha which was based on magadhi prakrit it had its evolution to bengali odia maithili bhojpuri and magahi etc in the in the same way in the southern apabhamsha you had the of course you know that the southern apabhamsha had a ancestor maharashtri prakrit so this maharashtri prakrit changed over to maharashtri uh, to southern abhramsha and then that led to the old marathi and the old marathi became what today is what you call marathi so the presence of abhramsha actually if you look at the the history of our modern indo aryan languages spoken in south asia be it bengali or hindi or punjabi we are actually at at loss that uh, how less we know that how these languages develop mm. we, al- we always have a rhetoric you know that uh, uh, they have developed from uh, say uh, sanskrit first the, the most common answer to the question is that where do these languages come from we always say that they come from sanskrit and the second answer if you are a bit more uh, aware of the situation you will say that they come from prakrits which right. are like the prakrit means the natural language yeah the language which is spoken and then of course prakrit also became uh, unnatural in in that in that way mm. but yeah. nobody talks about the upper brahmsha this is why i am today with you that i want to share with you that why the upper brahmshas they deserve to be more researched and investigated i think what i think you're going to say right now is it would be a great answer to my next question which is how do we use upper brahmsha you know we started off with the, our conversation with the your name Uh, how would he how would we pronounce each our names you know we we just exchange information and one thing you know, i i if i if i recall correctly you said that uh, that i should pronounce your name sharonik right now sharonik is a is a very uh, typical uh, name from in uh, in bangla and right. in bengali you have the sh dominance of the sh the, the mm-hmm. sh Uh, consonant and this sh consonant this sh consonant uh, it would be uh, interesting to know that this sh consonant had its development in the upper bhamsha stage so actually in the in the magadhi prakrit you know if you look at the history of bengali mm-hmm. you know that there is a magadhi prakrit and from magadhi prakrit we had the eastern abhamsha and eastern abhamsha led to avahatta and then avahatta to old bengali and so on and the assamese and maithili and other languages of the area the eastern india now the original magadhi prakrit it did not merge the sh and the s it had this the distinction but later the upper bhamsha stage that distinction was merged so to speak in a phonetic term the s became the sh right. so the dental s the dental s became the sibilant sh uh, if i am using the linguistic terminology for this these sounds mm-hmm. this feature was already happening in the apabhamsha stage one more thing which happened is that you know most of the prakrits of that time they had a neuter gender right yeah so they are three gender so one is the ma- masculine feminine and the neuter so the neuter gender 
it was lost in the upper bhamsha state you see and that you know this is the beginning of the losing of the you know, to the extent that in bengali you have default gender is masculine so there basically there is no gender so grammatical gender is lost in right. eastern languages in bhojpuri for example or in maghi or in maithili there is no grammatical gender as such it didn't happen in hindi because hindi is not a member of magadhi prakrit hindi is a member of the shaurseni prakrit and shaurseni had retained that so this change was uh, already happening and one more thing which happened is that the case system uh, like marking of the of the subject uh, if i if i tell you it's a the example the ne forms in hindi for example they also rise up during the uh, upper bhamsha stage so maine tune or manu in punjabi manu tanu and this new form and also in nepali Uh, the you have ne form so this marking of the subject of the verb with us with a particular uh, particle with a particular word that yeah. also happened in the aprabhamsha stage so basically the language is is always evolving and the aprabhamsha yeah. yeah. stage was the uh, closer to our spoken languages today if i am allowed to give a, a small anecdote Yeah, of course. Uh, there was a there was a linguist working with uh, with one of the institutes in uh, in Mysuru. There is a Central Institute of Indian Languages in India, yeah. and she was working on. She was a professor of Bengali, and uh, she was asked to to work on a project. And they had some Bengali spoken in in London, and uh, she had some data there. And then uh, when she was asked to to analyze the data she refused to work on the data she said i refuse to work in this data because it's not bengali it is not standard bengali obviously the bengali one what she was hearing was from london and this is from actually uh, you know there's a struggle going on for facility yeah and they want to and also because she she didn't think that it was language enough to be considered to to be studied so that prejudice but even among linguists talking about bengali spoken in london and by that token the spread of South Asian languages all over the world. Let me ask you my final question, which is, how will Upper Brahmshas or the study of Upper Brahmshas save the world? The study of Upper Brahmshas would really tell us more about how our contemporary languages have come into being, and these debates on, you know, which is, you know, these unending debates on the purity of the language yeah. and, you know, the sacredness of languages should be uh, should be challenged by I am by our. you know evolution so we when we show that the we don't have a direct connection with a particular divine language we also break those barriers we break those barriers of say of uh, of divinity or a special status to a particular language so by studying these abhamshas we we come to know we will come to know that and of course we, we need more work on this that how our contemporary languages they have come into being through several stages right and not to a particular you know like a monolithic entity like language which is say uh, classical sanskrit or or any other language for example uh, i was when i was looking at the 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 prakrits and so and their influences on upper bhamshas we see that there is a there are not much uh, like evidences because of the prevailing status of these languages these languages were not treated as standard you know that so and one of the only only one of them became a literary dialect one of the south the western uh, upper bhamsha became a literary dialect and the rest were not treated as par uh, as as good so what i see that you you can see in their in their phonology in their words you can see that in the old indo aryan 
that is what we say the, the only language we know from the old indo-aryan is sanskrit we don't have any evidence of non-sanskrit dialects of old old indo-aryan so if, if somebody asks me in one of my conversations that are there any other sisters of sanskrit in old indo-aryan this is a good question that are there any sisters of sanskrit are there any are there any other languages like sanskrit in the old period and the answer to that is yes there were languages like sanskrit when sanskrit was spoken in the pre-christian era so these how do we know this we know this from the data from prakrits and apabramshas for example we have the the word shara shara is a word in sanskrit yeah it means to flow sharan that is to somebody something is flowing something is falling down sharan now in prakrit we have the jhar right and then we have the apabramsha jhar then we have the jharna jhar something is falling down uh, the hair is falling down bal jharte so this jhar and this sure of it doesn't make any sense how this comes into comes into being so what we see that in the avestan there was a closer word there was a word similar to this so that means this jhar is not coming from sanskrit it's coming from another language which was contemporary to the sanskrit non-sanskritic indo-aryan which had similarity with avestan so what i mean to say that they may have clues to the languages other than sanskrit who were spoken once upon a time in India. So not only that, I'm talking about the Indo-Aryan language. I'm not talking about the Dravidian and the Austro-Asiatic and the other language. Also, one more thing, I think, when I come to the other language families, right. Apabramshas are the languages when these interactions have much has become much more stronger. We already know that Sanskrit had, Sanskrit had interactions with Dravidian languages and Sanskrit had interaction in Austro-Asiatic language. Especially if you talk about Bangla, Bangla, I would say that Bangla is the area is spoken in the area where there is in this interaction between Austro-Asiatic and the Indo-Aryan is much stronger. Bangla as a language, I think you will you will feel there are, there are so many words and so many features which are typically not Indo-Aryan. They are more like you know a Munda or Santhali. So these these interactions became much more prominent in the uh, in the Upper Brahmsha stage, and we need to investigate what are those investigation what were those convergences happening in that period in that period so because of that abu hamshas the less studied the less known stage of indo-aryan evolution uh, the the indo-aryan language evolution has to be taken care of brilliant uh, i think that's a great note to end on abhishek because it it, it it is a call to action and a call to research thank you so much for coming to high theory and talking to us about abu hamshas thank you sharoni and thank you for listening to high theory if you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonic Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams and Sharonic Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day. <laughs>